All right, go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms, chapter 142. Psalm chapter 142. How many of you are tired? Let me see your hands. All right. Was that a dumb question? <laughs> Is that what they call a no-brainer? <laughs> you can... <laughs> Well, I, uh, you know, usually by Thursday, you're fairly worn out from the week, so I thought maybe a, a lesson that would uh, offer some encouragement and also some advice on how to deal with the overwhelming feeling that you get from life. We're going to talk for a few minutes before our time of prayer about being overwhelmed, because eventually, I promise, you will be overwhelmed. Uh, even if you're not doing anything wrong, it's not a sin to be overwhelmed. It is a sin to react poorly to being overwhelmed. But the Bible has a lot to say about this. Psalm 142, verse 1, David writes, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. May I just make note there that if you're going to complain, start and stop at the foot of the throne of God. That's the best place to do any complaining. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then Thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. Many times when the saints of old talked about being overwhelmed, it was because they were being attacked. Many times. Not always, but many times that's what it was about. Verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. That will lead to an overwhelming feeling when you feel all alone. Verse 5, I cried unto Thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Verse 4, refuge failed him. That is amongst men. No man cared for his soul. That's when he turned to the Lord where you will always find refuge. Chapter 143, look with me beginning at verse 3. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. Now, for many of you, that might be your boss. For some of you, it's your prof, your professor. For some of you, it's your spouse. For some of you, it's your kids. <laughs> I can't say parents because the kids are over there, but it's somebody in your life that's just doing you wrong. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those uh, that have been long dead. Being overwhelmed will sometimes feel like you're in a grave and you can't get out. There's just no way back. Verse 4, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. And then some good advice when you're feeling overwhelmed. Verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. 
If you are feeling overwhelmed, just think back to all the times God has been really, really good to you. Think of the last time you were overwhelmed. You didn't think you would make it back, and yet here you are. Some of you with a smile on your face even, imagine. Muse on that. Meditate. Think on that. Verse 6, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah. So these are just a couple of passages to introduce the subject. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's just ask God to help us understand this subject. Fathers, we open up the Word of God, read it, and now we want to uh, marinate in it a little bit. We want this to sink in. And Lord, I pray you please encourage somebody tonight, all of us tonight. Lord, help us to manage these overwhelming parts of life. We've we pray that the Spirit of God would come down and uh, grab a hold of our hearts and teach us something that we can apply for the rest of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the word overwhelmed, it carries with it the idea of being submerged. Think of a submarine. It is overwhelmed by the water. Uh, the word overwhelmed means covered. Completely covered by something. It's like drowning in many ways. We, we have a phrase we use for overwhelmed. We say, you're in over your head. You're completely covered and you do not see a way out of it. Interestingly enough, the same Hebrew word that is translated as overwhelmed is also translated as covered in the book of Genesis when you read about the waters of the flood covering the earth. Completely submerged and overwhelmed to the point of utter destruction. And sometimes that's how overwhelming we feel, overwhelmed we feel. Uh, it's interesting, I think it's a pattern of life, especially, it's not just South Africa, the world over, but especially South Africa. We, we, we pray and beg for December. We can't wait for December. That's our chance to get our head above water for just a bit, breathe, catch our breath, gather ourselves, calm down a bit, right? Eleven months straight, we're just overwhelmed by everything the world and that life has to offer. We catch our breath, and what do we do? We dive right back in on the deep end come January, whenever you start back, and wham, we get hit again by everything that overwhelms us. So I think if you haven't learned it by now, surely you will soon enough. This is life times and seasons, right? Brethren, this is going to happen. You have to learn to manage it. You have to learn to deal with it, process it. Life sometimes is going to be overwhelming. So I'm not going to say, and have you ever thought this? You're on vacation. You feel calm. You feel relaxed. You're like, okay, I figured it out. This is how I'm supposed to feel. Now I'm just going to take this vacation mindset and take it into my workplace and into my classroom. And that never works, does it? Because your boss doesn't appreciate you reclining with your feet up on the desk as if you're at the beach. <laughs> you, that just doesn't work. So, so we, we need to learn to deal with the overwhelmed feelings. You might remember that Jesus himself at certain points was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by emotion, sometimes by pain. The night before he died, he was praying, let's say on his way to pray in Gethsemane. And the Bible says he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Why? Because 
in just a few moments, the sins of the world were going to be pressing on him, and he knew that. Drinking from the cup that the Father was about to give him was a heavy and a tall task, and it overwhelmed him. This teaches us something. Being overwhelmed is not a sin. Jesus never sinned. But what did Jesus do? He, he took it to the Father. He prayed about it. He asked others to pray. There is a way through the overwhelming emotions. Sometimes it's not your fault that you're overwhelmed. Sometimes it is actually the fault of the people around you not pulling their weight. We read in a, a Philippians chapter 2 that Epaphroditus was nigh unto death supplying the lack of service from the Philippians. So the Philippians, not because they were lazy, they could not do everything that Paul and that the ministry needed them to do. They couldn't pitch in because they were also experiencing deep poverty and they were overwhelmed by other things. So Epaphroditus had to work overtime to make up for what everyone else could not do. Sometimes, folks, that's the hand you're dealt. That's just life. That's when you man up, tighten your belt, and say, okay, let me deal with this. This is going to take it out of me. I'm going to have to hold my breath and go under that deep, chilly water for a while. But, but one thing as a Christian that you want to grab hold of, Colossians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus is our head. Right? He is the head of the body. Is this right? Are we all good with that doctrinal fact? Where is our head located? Up. Up. If you know your universe, God created the universe and filled it with water, and then He created a firmament in the midst of the water. So there's water covering the planet, the oceans, and then there's firmament, there's outer space, and then there's water so if you want to travel from here up to the throne of God, you have to go through a massive body of water. Right now, we're submerged. <laughs> we're under the water. N not the waters of the ocean, the waters of, of the heavens. But, but our head is always above water. You'll never drown. Because your head is always above water. That's a nice little fact to hold on to. So sometimes life is going to require us to take a deep breath and dive in the deep end. And, and that's life. That's life. How do we handle that? I want to give you several ideas. Turn your Bible to Psalm 73. Several ideas for handling overwhelming moments, overwhelming seasons of life. Psalm 77 verse 3. Psalm 77 and verse 3, the first thing I want to talk about is be careful about your complaining. It's very common, and I know this because I do it all the time. When you get overwhelmed, you feel this urge to let it out, just say it, and it ends up as complaining. It actually doesn't help. It's like drinking salt water. It's just going to make the problem worse. Psalm 77 verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled. Why would that be? God, why aren't you helping me more? Why are you allowing me to go down under the waters of the deep end? I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was what? 
So the complaining didn't solve it. The complaining added to the overwhelming feeling. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 32. Job chapter 32. And let's read verses 19 and 20. Job. If you can't find the book of Job, get the book of Job. Chapter 32 and verse number 19. Job 32 verse 19. I want to make a distinction here between complaining and venting. I believe there is a difference. To vent is to blow off a little steam. Right? To, to let out a little bit of the pressure that's built up from what you're going through. And that's healthy. But don't let your venting become complaining. And I'll explain what I think is the difference in a moment. Job 32 verse 19 Job said, my, Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. Now, if you know much about the ancient winemaking process, and even today this is still true, if you were to put wine in a bottle, you have to leave a space for some air to get out. Be, otherwise, it'll just burst. It, it continues to expand. It lets off gases and just, it'll burst a bottle, like those old leather bottles they used to use. So he says, Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak, verse 20, I will speak, here's the venting, I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. So if somebody says, hey, you look like you're going through a rough time, are you okay? It is perfectly fine to say, I am going through a rough time. I appreciate you noticing please pray for me. Say something that is refreshing, right? Let some of that stuff off of your heart. You can acknowledge that you're going through a bad time. That's not complaining. Walking in tonight and going, yo, it was hot today. That's not complaining. That's a fact. That's a fact, right? We say it and then we fan ourselves and we go on. Now, once you go too far with it, complaining fails to acknowledge that there's anything good going on. Complaining gets into this idea of now that one thing has gone wrong, everything is going wrong. And complaining will put you in a bad mood because you're looking for bad in everything. Whereas venting is just acknowledging this is rough, but praise the Lord for this and this and this and this. So, so you're refreshing yourself by admitting the hardship, but you're not piling on by creating extra hardships that aren't really there. So I think venting is healthy, but don't let it become complaining. Turning your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 6. So my first tip or point, piece of advice, be careful about complaining, but don't be afraid to vent. And this flows naturally into my second thing. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Sometimes we are overwhelmed because we refuse to allow God or somebody else to help us. And we're okay, we're going through a rough time, but it doesn't have to be as rough as you're making it. God will put people around you to help you through it. Galatians 6 verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You might remember that even Jesus, on His way to the to, to, be, to be nailed on the cross, he also had some help. 
he was overwhelmed by the weight of the cross and they had to call in backup, Simon the Cyrenian, to help him carry the cross. You're going to have some crosses that are too big for you to individually carry. Listen to this. God will purposely give you a cross that you by yourself cannot carry because He wants you to learn this lesson. It's one way to break pride. It's one way to break the pride. Say, you're not meant to carry this alone. You're supposed to ask for help. You're supposed to take advantage of the help that God has provided. And this leads me to my next piece of advice. Don't keep pushing just for the sake of pride. A lot of the times we don't ask for help and it's because of a pride thing. And then we think, okay, well it's tough, but, and like I said, sometimes we need to man up and deal with it. But be careful that it doesn't turn into, let's say it can go from I'm handling my responsibilities to look at how great I can handle my responsibilities. If you're going to do it, do it. Be a man and just do the job and don't draw attention to yourself. But then you'll find some folks that when they're overwhelmed, they advertise it. Oh, look at how much I'm going through. Oh, woe is me. Oh, can we help? No, 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 just back off. Watch me do it now. They were yelling about how bad it was so that we would watch them push through the next six months miserable with their overwhelmed feeling. So don't push just for the sake of pride. Uh, take your Bible, come to Job chapter 34. Just before church tonight, we had the privilege of going out to the streets and do some witnessing. And we were able to talk with a handful of people today. One young man, we actually talked, stopped two guys and gave them the gospel, got to the end. And as I often do, I say, gentlemen, you have a choice. Somebody has to pay for your sin. Now, either you're going to pay or you can accept the payment Jesus made. And one young man piped up and said, I'll pay. Now, he wasn't trying to be saucy with me. He, he just said, I'll pay. I said, are you sure that's the path you want to go? He said, yes, I committed the sins. I should pay. It's only fair. I said, you know what? Let me acknowledge that you're, you're acting nobly. Now, that's an honorable thing to do to say, it's my mistake. I'll own it. I'll pay for it. I can appreciate where you're coming from. But, but be careful that your nobility and your honor does not become pride. To say, well, I did it and now nobody helped me. I'm just going to take care of it alone. Because I explained to him, you're going to find yourself overwhelmed in the lake of fire. And there's no way out of that. And, and you honestly cannot fathom how heavy the weight of your sins is. So when Jesus extends the hand and says, please let me save you. I want you to walk with God and I'm the only way that's going to happen. Don't try to man up and push through and go, bless God, I'll make my own way to God. It won't work. And there's no, there's no honor in suffering for eternity if you don't have to. There, that's not honorable, that's foolish. That's pride. Job chapter 34, looks, let's look at verse 23. Great observation is made here by Elihu. Verse 23, 
For he, now he's talking about God, for he will not lay upon man more than right, that he should enter into judgment with God. God will never give you too much to handle. Because God knows that whatever he gives you, he will also provide the necessary grace, help, strength, comfort, support, so you can get through it. So you might ask yourself this question though, but wait a minute. I've gone through some things that were way too heavy and it broke me and I didn't make it through with a good attitude and I may be even still struggling. Then you might want to ask yourself this, if I'm completely overwhelmed and no matter what I try, I'm not getting my head above water, I'm not finding a, a, a breathing space, maybe you took too much on. Because God will not lay on you more than right. But many times we lay on ourselves more than right. So you might want to just step back from that overwhelmed situation and begin to edit that a little bit and say, what, what parts of this did God not give me, I gave me? What could I maybe remove to lighten the load? It's very common for people to complain about how busy their schedules are. But you know you can change that. And I realize there's not maybe every, maybe you don't control everything in your schedule, but you can change some of it. You can do something differently. So don't just push for the sake of pride. Don't take on more than you can truly handle. The next thing I want to say, this is all throughout the Bible, so let me just give you the point. Jesus talked about it as this, take no thought for the morrow. Uh, be careful for nothing, Paul wrote. So my next point is this. Stop worrying and start praying and trusting God. Much, much of the time when we're overwhelmed is because we are trying to carry a load that only God can carry. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast your care upon Him for He cares for you. Psalm 55, cast your burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. He shall not suffer the righteous to be moved. The load that you're carrying was not meant for you to carry, but only big enough for God to carry. And that's why He said, give it to me. I will sustain you. So stop worrying because that only makes overwhelmed feelings worse. It never helps. And I like repeating that from the pulpit so that maybe it'll get through my head. <laughs> it never helps. It is the enemy of trust and faith in God. I remember when I was a young boy, I was about 12, I still didn't know how to swim. And I was in a daycare at the time because my mom wasn't in the picture, so my dad would drop me and my sister at daycare. And they were trying to teach me. I was the oldest kid in the daycare, and I didn't know how to swim. So they put me in not-so-deep water, and the first thing they wanted to teach me was how to float, which is kind of embarrassing when you got like four-year-olds zoom, 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 right past you, and this butterball sitting there boom, like a brick going right to the bottom. But you know what I would do? It, it, floating is actually not that hard if you trust the water. Are you with me there? If you trust the water, if you just relax and, and lean, back, lean back, all of a sudden the water does most of the work. You just breathe normal. 
especially in a swimming pool. I don't recommend doing it in the ocean. <laughs> but in a swimming pool, it took me about three weeks to figure that out, to just relax because the teachers would hold me and they say, okay, we're going to let go. As soon as I heard, we're going to let go. <laughs> and I thought, let me try to keep myself above water. As soon as you begin to panic and you sink. You cannot hold yourself up. You have to just relax. Stop worrying. Let, let God just hold you up. He can do a better job of it than you can. Your worrying just makes it more difficult. So learn to float. Uh, let me give you one other thing. And again, I don't have a verse necessarily, one verse that'll manifest this, but I believe it's a, a valid point. Do one thing at a time. Do one thing at a time. But perhaps I could give a verse. Philippians 3, verse number 13. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. One thing. You say, I'm overwhelmed. I have so much to do. How am I going to get it done? What's the old saying? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And yes, it will take multiple days, multiple meals to get that elephant down. But the elephant you'll eventually eat. It will disappear one bite at a time. But do not get sucked into the sucker's game of multitasking. There is no such thing as multitasking. There are only two entities in the world, in the universe, that can multitask. God and mothers. <laughs> God supernaturally gifts them to multitask when they have babies. All of a sudden, they can do 50 things at once, and they do them really well. Now, ladies, just so you know, as the kids graduate, you lose some of that superpower. <laughs> but... This is God giving you the grace. He won't lay upon you more than you can handle, right? Now, everybody else, be careful about multitasking. And I'm going to give you some science on this. You, on, actually, nobody can multitask. It is impossible to multitask. Your brain is built to only be able to do one thing at a time. That's it. What, one cognitive thing that you're actively doing. When you think you're multitasking, what you're doing is frying your circuits. Because you're going from this, to this, to this, to this, and you think, well, I'm doing two things at once. No, you're just going really fast, and you're frying your brain. And that is probably why you feel so overwhelmed. Put one thing down and pay attention to the other thing and do a really good job on that. And then when you're done with that, go to the other thing. Now, I know not always in life can we do that. Sometimes we do have to feel like that termite and a yo-yo, just back and forth, back and forth. But as much as you can, try to focus on one thing. When I uh, was in grade school and elementary school, I had very good handwriting. I, I was quite, quite happy with my penmanship. I would take a piece of scrap paper when some kids would doodle and draw I would write words just trying to perfect my handwriting how many of you adults can testify to this as you've gotten older your handwriting gets worse is that right you know I, I, I understand what's going on part of it is arthritis <laughs> part of it is you're, you're just old <laughs> that's it <laughs> we're just old but I think what it is is I'm tired of writing I'm sick of it 
I have written so many words. Oh, I'm so tired of writing. Guys, I sit at that desk and I love to study. I love what I do. But man, I'm just sitting there all day with that pen and that, oh my goodness. So what happens is what used to be one letter, I can do with one pen stroke, I can do about four letters. And I'm not talking cursive. I'm talking shorthand that only I can read. It's not Egyptian hieroglyphics. It's, it's Mike Flick hieroglyphics. Years from now, they'll study it as some deep, dark, secret language. <laughs> so you know what I did this week as I was preparing this lesson? I thought, let me see if I can actually write the same way I did when I was a young man. I wanted to know, is it physically possible? Because I haven't seen it in over 20 years. You know what I had to do? I slowed down. I slowed down my writing until it looked like it did 30 years ago. And sure enough, once I went slow enough, I had to concentrate on every letter and write every letter properly, and it looked just like it did when I was in school. You know, the problem is, as life's gone on, I got to write this fast, I got to write this fast, I got to write this fast, another thought, another thought, another thought, another, and then your brains are just fried. You can't handle it. Slow down. Do one thing at a time and do it well. And then my last piece of advice, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, I'm going to show you something a little different, but um, let me give you this last piece of advice while you're finding it. Stop sinning. I know that might be a very broad category, but let me narrow it down to match our topic. Some people, they get overwhelmed, and instead of turning to God, they turn to sin as a stress reliever. Now, I'm going to let you fill in the blank of whatever that sin is. But we think, and I say we, I'm, I'm in there with you. We think, because I'm overwhelmed, I've earned it. I'm going through so much, surely God would understand under these circumstances that little thing that I like to do isn't that bad, given the circumstances. So in our minds, we begin to justify sin to say, well, it's going to help me get through this rough patch. No, it's not. It's going to become an added weight that you will eventually have to deal with in the future that's going to make your burden even heavier. The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The Bible warns us about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will usually come to you with its temptations when you're at your weakest, when you're desperate. And when are we not more desperate than when we're overwhelmed? So my advice is perhaps kind of on the nose, but stop sinning. It is not a stress reliever, it is a stress inducer. In the moment, you might find pleasure in it, right? The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. So it might feel good and relieve the stress for a moment, but brother, sister, be sure your sin will find you out. It'll get heavy eventually. I'm going to give you this as homework, and then we're going to read one other verse. Psalm 102. How many of you have an Afrikaans Bible in the sanctuary tonight that you're reading? Anybody have it? I have one on my desk, and I've, I've, been not- I've noticed this for a while. The Afrikaans Bible has more verses in Psalms than the King James Bible. And the reason for that is, you may not be able to see it, but this superscript, we call it a superscript because there's some small letters, small words, before verse 1. 
And though this is a note that scribes and authors have put in here, and that's why they translate it. It's a, it's a helpful note, but most people do not consider it part of the text. The Afrikaans Bible actually makes that verse 1. So it gets a little uh, sometimes, I won't say confusing, but you've got to be on your toes. I'm going to say verse 1, but the Afrikaans Bible would be verse 2, and you just have to adjust like that. I'm going to read the superscript. Okay, so if, if you don't have that above your Bible, this would be above verse 1. All of Psalm 102 is for this. It says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. This psalm was written so that when you're overwhelmed, you could take this to the Lord and pray this to Him. So I'm just giving that to you. Put it in your back pocket. Maybe even tonight before you go to bed, if you're overwhelmed, take it out, look through the chapter, and you're going to see much of what we've talked about tonight. At the end of the story, David is acknowledging, yes, I'm going through a rough time, but Lord, you endure forever. This is wearing me out, but nothing wears you out. So I'm going to leave it at your feet. Now, one last place in Psalm, Psalm chapter 61 Psalm 61. And brethren, isn't it a blessing to know that tomorrow morning when you wake up, the mercies of God are going to be brand new and fresh waiting for you. Isn't that wonderful? You might want to start your day just with that little reminder. As you crawl out of bed, say, God, thank you. And when I opened my eyes this morning, your mercies were new. You're going to get me through this day. You are. You are. Peter, if you're sinking, reach up and grab hold of Jesus because he's right there ready to pull you out of that sinking water. But the mercies are new every morning. And they will be for the rest of your lives. Psalm 61, let's get verses 1 down to 4. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed lead me to the rock that is higher than I why we sing a song I'm pressing on the upward way new heights I'm gaining every day we're constantly looking for higher ground why because we're overwhelmed we're covered in the water we got to get to higher ground to escape that ever-rising water I, I find I found this interesting in verse 2 when my heart is overwhelmed, what do we do? From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. There is a verse that says you must go to Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, Nasna, George. There it is. It's the end of the earth. Pachastrum is not the end of the earth. Do you see how I snuck a vacation into that? <laughs> you know that's not what that means, right? What he means is wherever I'm at, however far off I go, I can always cry unto God. He will always hear me. So I, please don't think that's a vacation thing. But Verse 3, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Why would you need a tower? Because the flood, floods are rising. You get into the tower to get it, uh, above it. In verse 4, I will abide in thy what? In thy tabernacle forever. And a strong tower uh, forgive me, verse 4, and I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. He says, you know, I'm overwhelmed, so I'm going to go to church. 
because that's where I'm going to find some time with God. And that's what makes Thursday night prayer meeting such a blessing. Middle of the week, water's starting to rise. Let's rush into the throne room of God and take a few moments to unload our hearts, pour out our hearts before Him. And if nothing else, just thank Him for being so faithful to always being there for us. All right, guys, that's it for the lesson. Let me give you a couple of prayer requests and then...